Now, could you please turn to Acts chapter 13 in your Bibles? I'm going to be attempting to go, that sounds quite hollow, to go through the whole of the chapter, but I didn't think it would be acceptable or really appreciated if I asked Christina to read the whole 52 verses. <laughs> but before we start, let's just commit this time to the Lord. Father, thank you for that chorus that we just sang that reminded us that you are faithful. And Lord, as we look at your word, we see over and over and over again that indeed you are a faithful God. And so Lord, I come to you now and I ask that you please take away my nervousness, that you would help me to speak clearly and most of all father that by your spirit you would minister your word to our hearts today and so father I do commit this time to you in Jesus name amen so as you would know from recent weeks we have been looking at the book of Acts to see what principles we can learn and apply to our lives so that we can be faithfully walking with Jesus and reaching the wider community. Now in the introduction and overview that Clifford did a few weeks ago, he pointed out that the key verse is Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Clifford also pointed out that the book can either be divided up by looking at the ministry of the two main characters, Peter and Paul, or by the geographical locations. Now in chapter 2, we saw that the Holy Spirit came in power upon the disciples, and Peter was given the privilege of preaching the gospel to the crowd that was gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people were added to their number that day. As we look further in the book, we see that persecution caused the disciples to be scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And the people responded to the gospel there. As a result, Peter and John were sent to Samaria and they were witnesses to the truth that the Samaritans were also permitted to accept the gospel. And this is recorded in chapter 8. Last week, Kent preached a very convicting sermon telling us how Peter, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, was sent to the home of a Gentile named Cornelius. He preached the gospel and then he was given visible proof that the Gentiles also were to be uh, allowed to come into the church into the, uh, to receive the gospel. As we come to chapter 13, the focus of the book of Acts changes from being upon Peter 
to being upon Paul. And it also concentrates more on the aspect of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Peter had not retired. I remember Kent saying that he was looking for the word retire in the scriptures, but he couldn't find it. I think perhaps as we get older, our area of ministry changes, but no matter how old we are, we still have many people around us who need to hear the gospel. And so we always have people that we can minister to. We've always got something that we can do for the Lord. And Acts chapter 13 changes from that ministry of being uh, upon Peter to being upon Paul. Now, we were first introduced to Paul in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, where he was the witness to the stoning of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. And at that time, he was referred to as Saul, which apparently was his Hebrew name, whereas Paul was his Greek name. Now, Saul was a very, very zealous Pharisee, and he was determined to get rid of these people who were following the way, which was, it was called at that particular time. But he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, and instead of being the persecutor of Christ, he became the preacher of Christ. In chapter 11, we find that the result of the as a result of the persecution, many of the believers in Jerusalem were scattered all over the place, including to a town called Antioch. And we are told also in chapter 11 that a number of people, or in fact a great number of people who lived in Antioch, believed. And so Barnabas was sent to Antioch to investigate what was going on. And as a result of what he saw, he went around to Tarsus and he brought Saul back to Antioch. And also in chapter 11, we're told that they taught the believers there for a whole year. But now in chapter 13, we have a look at what, is ha what happens. Chapter 13 is actually divided into three sections, verses 1 to 3 verses 4 to 12, and verses 13 to 52. So we'll have a look at verses 1 to 3 first of all. We're told in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Prophecy and teaching are actually two of the, the gifts given by the Holy Spirit to the church for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, when we think of prophecy, we often think of the ability to foretell the future, to look into the future and see, say what's going to happen. But actually, the main job, if we could use that word, of a prophet was to speak God's word into what was the current situation. And when we read the Old Testament prophets, we find that this is what they were doing. They were saying, this is what is happening, this is what God says about it. And from time to time, they were given a message which had a future fulfillment. But the main job of a prophet was to speak regarding the situation. Now, God gave in his word two uh, tests which could be applied uh, to tell whether a prophet was a true prophet or a false prophet. 
The first one was everything that the prophet said had to come true. Not 50%, not 80%, not 90%, but 100% it had to come true. And the second test for a prophet was, even if what he said was coming true, the true prophet always, always pointed people to God. He always sought for people to be seeking after the true God. And so those were the two tests which the people were supposed to apply if someone claimed to be a prophet. A teacher should be able to explain the scriptures in terms that people can understand and encourage them to keep on seeking to learn what God says and put it into practice. Not just gain head knowledge, but actually live out what you learn from the scriptures. And so that we have these um, two gifts seen in these five men who were in Antioch. Now, what were these men doing? We uh, are told in verse 2 that they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. Now, worship probably means that they were praising God and they were praying, spending time in prayer. And several weeks ago, we had a sermon on fasting. I think at that particular time, if I remember correctly, we were told that fasting was often uh, a time when people concentrated in prayer to seek God's will for a particular situation. And so we have these men fasting or worshipping and praying. And I hope we're starting to see again the importance of prayer in the life of the church. It's mentioned there. And verse 2 starts with the word while. It was as they were doing this, it was while they were communicating with God that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. If we're seeking to have guidance from, the God, we, from God, we need to spend time with him so that he can speak to us. We can't expect him to guide us if we're busy doing other things and we're not spending time with him. We need to be really and truly seeking to communicate with him so that he can communicate back with us. Now, what did the Holy Spirit say? He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then verse 3 says that after they had fasted and prayed, so there's those two things again, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. But notice again, prayer. We're not going to achieve anything as a church if we do not spend time in prayer. We're not going to achieve anything as individuals in our um, attempts to, uh, to witness to people if we're not committing it to the Lord in prayer. It is really, really important that we spend time in prayer. And as we look at these verses, notice also the obedience of these people. They had these five uh, leaders in the church, and God is saying, send out two of them. They're going to lose two, lose two key members of their, of their leadership. It must be difficult. And Paul, or Saul, as he was known then, Saul and Barnabas were being told to go out. This is probably not an easy thing to do. They also were stepping out into an unknown. But sometimes, sometimes obedience is going to be difficult. 
And this is a, <laughs> something that I wrote down here. But if God calls us to do something for him, he will empower us to do that job. And Naomi knows why I've just said that. God is very relevant, very relevant. But there are several application questions that I want to ask us before we go on to the next section. I asked you last time, I'll ask you again, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Are you using your gift for the building up of the body of Christ? It may be a speaking gift, it may be a serving gift, but are you using it to build up the body? It is very encouraging to see that a prayer time has been set aside on Sunday mornings before the sermon. But what about the rest of the week? How is your private prayer time going on the other days of the week? Are you really seeking God's face on a daily basis? Is God calling you to do something different? Something out of the ordinary, something that you feel is very, very hard? Are you willing to be obedient to God and do whatever he is asking you to do? Now, I can't answer these questions for you, but I hope that you will be honest before the Lord and seek if he wants you to change or improve something in your walk with him. Okay, let's move on to the next section. Verses 4 to, what did I say? I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, let's start with verse 4 and 5. It tells us that the two of them, that's otherwise Barnabas and Saul, accompanied by a young man who's called John, in other places he's referred to as John Mark, uh, they went to Cyprus. Now, back in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, Barnabas was mentioned, and we were told that he was born in Cyprus. So the reason that they went to Cyprus may have been the fact that Barnabas knew people back there. But verse 5 says they, uh, I think it was verse 5, verse 4 says they were sent by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, they were going out under the leadership, under the guidance, under the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so they went to Cy Cyprus. Now, where do we start when we think of sharing the gospel? Do we start with family, friends, schoolmates, people that go to university with us, work colleagues, people who play sport with us? Who do we know already? Who do we have contact with already? that we can be sharing the gospel with. This method of, shall I use that word, of sharing the gospel was reflected again in verse 5 because when, you, when we look at verse 5, we see that when they arrived at Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, we remember that both Barnabas and Saul were Jewish and so there was already a bridge in place for them to use to minister to the people there. We're not told that anything much happened 
given no other details about what happened at Salama, so we assume that not too much happened there. And so they left and they went to a town called Paphos. Now, Salamis was on the eastern side of the island and Paphos was on the western side of the island. I can't remember how, long, how far it was, but it was quite some distance and they probably had to walk. But anyway, they got to, to Paphos and there they found um, a man called Bar-Jesus. He was an attendant of the proconsul, who was a Roman official, and we're also told that his, in verse 8, his name was Elimas as well. But the interesting thing to see about him is that he was referred to as a Jewish sorcerer or magician and a false prophet. Now, back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 31, we, we read these words. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. There was a king in Judah called Manasseh, and this is what is written about him in 2 Chronicles, chapter 33, verse 6. He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Not a very nice man. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, However, we read these words. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? So in other words, the Jews were not supposed to have anything at all to do with witchcraft, sorcery, divination, any of those sorts of things. But here we have this man called Bar-Jesus being described as a sorcerer. And actually, we also should have nothing to do with these things. We should have nothing to do with fortune-telling, horoscopes, Ouija boards, seances, tarot cards, all those sorts of things. We should be looking to God for guidance, for direction, for strength, for wisdom, not looking to these, these things. Stay way from them, way away from them. They are very, very dangerous. You might remember a couple of minutes ago, I said that the sign of a true prophet was that he pointed people to God. However, when we are reading about Bar Jesus, he tried to turn the pro proconsul away from the faith, away from listening to God. And so therefore, he was really was a false prophet. When we go to verse 9, we find that Paul, oh, he was called Saul then, still, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked at him, and this is what he said in verse 10. He said, you are a child of the devil. Actually, bar Jesus means a child of Jesus. But Paul, Saul looking at him, says, you are a child of the devil. 
and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So he had one name, but his character was totally the opposite. And then he went on to pronounce to, the, uh, to Elimas that he was going to be blind for a period of time. And this miracle was so amazing that the proconsul listened to the gospel. And in fact, we are told that he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now, there are two points that I really feel I need to make here. The first one is that John, in his gospel, referred to the miracles that Jesus did as signs. They were signs to indicate to the people that Jesus really was the Son of God and that they needed to listen to him. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 13. This sign opened up the way for Saul to declare the gospel. And uh, the proconsul, I believe, was saved. So miracles should always be pointing to God and giving glory to Christ. And the second thing I see is that Paul exercised the gift of discernment, which is actually another spiritual gift. We are all supposed to have a certain amount of discernment because in uh, one of John's letters, he says, test the spirits. In other words, don't just blindly accept everything that comes under the banner of Christian as being truly Christian, truly biblical. See whether it really is correct according to the scriptures. So we are all supposed to have a certain amount of, of discernment, but there are people within the fellowship, or there could be people within the fellowship, or someone within the fellowship who has this gift of discernment. There was a gentleman in Hong Kong who used to meet with Wayne every Wednesday morning for prayer. And I, we believed that he had this gift because there were several times when he uh, said, we need to be careful about this or we need to be careful about so-and-so. Long time before anything came out that indicated that this person was not quite right in the realm of the spirit. So... Where are we? Where are we? <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the next section, which is, um, we're told in verses 14 that they moved, they travelled to a place, no, they went from Cyprus to, sorry, I've got a little bit lost, from Paphos, they went to Perga in Pamphylia, and Pamphylia is in Turkey. Uh, although I did see on the news the other day that we're not supposed to say Turkey. It's supposed to be pronounced slightly differently, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, that's where this uh, place was. And then from Paphos, they, um, at Paphos, John Mark left them. We're not told why he left them, and I don't think I need to go into it any further because he comes up in another chapter later on. 
But anyway, from Perga, they travelled to a place called Pisidium Antioch. This is making it all the more confusing because there's more than one place called Antioch. But anyway, they went to this place called Pisidium Antioch. It was about 150 kilometres away. I understand that it was uphill and it was not a particularly safe journey to make, but they went. And see, in verse 14, what they did, they went into the synagogue. They went to a place where there was already a bridge in place. We're told in verse uh, 16 that in the, in the congregation there were men of Israel and Gentiles who worshipped God. And then later on in verse 43, we see that there were devout converts to Judaism. In other words, they were proselytes. And so these people would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. And so Paul, as he was referred to then, stood up and he addressed the congregation using what they would have known from the Old Testament. In verse 17, we find that he reminded them how God had been faithful. He had chosen their fathers. He had delivered Israel from Egypt and he had taken them into the promised land. Moving on into verse 20, he reminded them that God had given them judges to lead them and had raised up Saul to be their king. Then in verse 22, he reminded them how God had removed Saul from the kingship and had placed David on the throne. He then reminded them of the promise that God had made to David that a saviour would come from his line. And as he continued preaching, he declared that God had continued to be faithful to his promise to David and that Jesus was indeed the descendant of David and he was the Messiah, he was the Saviour. And he went on to tell the ruler, that the rulers and the people in Jerusalem had failed to recognise this. They'd put him to death, but that God had raised him to the dead, and be, for, to the, to, from the dead to the life. And because of this, um, forgiveness could be preached to them. Jesus had done what the law had never been able to do. The Jews were seeking to keep the law to gain favour with God. But we know that scripture says all of us have sinned. And James tells us that, you know, just breaking one law and we're already a sinner. So there's no way that we or they or we could reach the righteousness that was required to gain access, access into heaven. It was only, only, only through the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice upon the cross. Last time I said that Peter, when he preached on the day of Pentecost, he focused on the death and resurrection of Christ. And if we look through these verses, in Paul's address, he referred to Christ's death five times, and four times he spoke of Christ being raised from the dead. It's very important. It's the core of the gospel. And the resurrection was proof that Christ's death was accepted by God for our forgiveness. It's not because of what we have done. It's because of what Christ has done. 
But then before he finished, he issued a warning. He said, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And as a result of what he shared, or what, they, yeah, what he shared, they were asked to come back the next day and speak. And when we look at verse 44, it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So people who were there the first day, as they went, they went, you know, talk, 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 what had happened, what they'd seen. And isn't this one way in which we share? This is what happened. Talk, talk, talk. Tell people what's happened, how God has worked in your life, what he's been doing for you. Share it in a natural way. But they went and they shared. And so we have almost the whole of the city gathered together to hear what Paul has to say. But, and we've already seen it in the book of Acts, that the jealousy and the opposition of the Jews was there. And it's here again. We're told they began to contradict the things that had been spoken by Paul. And in fact, their resistance was so great that we're told that they, they incited devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city to instigate a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And so they were driven out of the city. And verse 51 tells us that they shook their dust from the feet. That's actually a sign that, you know, whatever's happened is going to be on your, it's on your heads. I think Jesus told his disciples to do that. You know, if people will not receive you, shake the dust of the town on their feet and then go somewhere else. So anyway, they shook the dust from their feet and they went on to a town called Iconium. And that's when we will move into chapter 14 next time. But verse 51 is quite interesting. Verse 52, rather. It says the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And we saw earlier in the book of Acts that when they were persecuted, when they were told to stop, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. What do we do if we are rejected? Figuratively call, curl up in a ball and complain. But these disciples were so committed to the Lord that they rejoiced in the Lord. They counted it a joy to be able to suffer for him. And Paul and Barnabas' obedience to the Holy Spirit, they were told, go, I'm sending you. They went, and as a result of that, we do find that many people heard the gospel and many people responded. But let me ask some more questions. When we do the precept study, some of you did the book of Jude with me. We observe the text, we interpret the text, and then we look for application. Perhaps some more application questions. Let me ask you, have you accepted the offer of salvation? Have you accepted the offer of salvation that has been given to you? Christ has paid the price for us. Colossians tells us that it is finished. 
the debt has been fully paid. We don't have to strive to attain the righteousness to be able to go into God's presence. Christ has done it for us, but we have to accept it. The book of Hebrews opens with these words. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son. And towards the end of the book, it says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. So, if God has spoken to you in any way today, don't refuse him. Don't refuse him. He's very, very, very patient. Extremely patient. We have been looking at the book of Jeremiah in recent months. And at the beginning of the book, Jeremiah declared God's word. And it was over and over again, if you repent, I will forgive. If you repent, I will forgive. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the Jews at that time said, we don't want to listen. We are not going to listen to you. And so God changed his message. He said, fine. You're not going to listen? You will suffer the consequences. And the consequences came upon the Jews. Today, God is still saying, I'm offering you salvation. I'm offering you salvation. I want you to come into my family. I want you to serve me. But if we say to him, not interested, don't care. Unfortunately, the time will come and said, God will say, okay. That's what you wanted. But don't say no to him. Please don't say no to him. Okay, thank you. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You are so patient. Your word says that you are slow to become angry and quick to forgive. But Father, we also see that you are faithful to your word. And your word has declared that there is only one way to come to salvation, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that today you will minister your word to our hearts. And if there is anyone who needs to accept that message, I pray that you will prompt them to do that today. But, Father, I also ask that you will encourage us and strengthen us throughout this week and the days ahead to be very mindful of the people around about us who do not have the same security, the same salvation that we have. And I pray, Father, that you help us to be in tune with you so that we are alert to opportunities to share the message of the gospel with these people, that they too will come into knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Saviour 
and have a hope of eternity with you. And so, Father, I commit this time to you. I commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.